What happens when two Baptist bros get together? Well, they argue about diehard and baptism. What else? We're about to start conversations with a Calvinist, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. And I'm joined today by my friend, Eric Yeager. Eric, thank you for being with me on the show today. What's going on, man? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. And I want to kind of explain to people how we came to know one another. Um, Very recently, I did a baptism debate Mm -hmm. uh, with the Redeemed Zoomer, or I'm I'm sorry, he doesn't like me to say the, he's Redeemed Zoomer. He's he's very cool. Very, very, uh, very Zoomer. No definite article, man. That's right. No definite article. He's like Batman, not the Batman. Right. So, So anyway, Redeemed Zoomer and I did a debate. I think it went pretty well. But in preparation for that debate, I had watched your debate that you did was was it in utah it was it was up uh just outside of salt lake at apologia utah yep awesome awesome and you're at apologia church in arizona yep in mesa yep okay cool and that's the one the main like that's that's jeff durbin james white it is yes yeah that's the the main campus yep and you have a it's its its own autonomous church but yes it's its main yeah well, well, that's what I meant. It's it's when people think of apology at church, they think about Jeff and they think about James and and well, and, and those I just guys. figured, you know, we'd have a wide range of Baptists, and some of them here, you know, they might have just thought it's a satellite campus or something. Oh, know? I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're not Big Eva, so no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you have a you do have an interesting relationship with Doctor White. I I do have a, a very interesting relationship with Dr. White. So I am blessed and highly favored to be married to his daughter, Summer. That's um, cool. That's yeah. Cool. And it's, you know, we might have time to get into sharing a few funny stories we've talked about here, but I'll leave that up to, up to you. Good sir. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to that, but I, I just wanted people to know when, when I connected with you, it was really, it was because of your baptism debate. Mm-hmm. I had, I had interviewed Dr. White back in Tullahoma mm-hmm. and he mentioned he was driving to watch your debate after that. And, right. and so, um, I saw your debate. I thought it was great. Thank I you. actually used some of your, um, some of the strategy that you took because y'all discussed more the subject of covenant children uh, and what, what constitutes the new covenant, which I thought was awesome. And so I, I messaged you, we began to talk. I even sent you my notes beforehand, asked you your thoughts. So, so I was very appreciative. And it was a, you did a a great job, by the way. I really enjoyed it. I haven't gotten back to you on that yet, but I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, I, I, the, the a def, the a redeemed zoomer did a a great job. (laughs) as well. Uh, very smart young man. He is. And it was his first debate. I was glad to get to do it. I'm hoping to debate him on the subject of evolution because he, he is theistic evolution. And oh. obviously that's a big, big deal. And, and um, I, I consider him a friend. Uh, I, you know, I, I, and I think he's one of the few people that I could have a conversation and a debate about that where it wouldn't go off the rails. I think All we right. could actually discuss major major things and not get too crazy. Well, so. I look forward to you reading Genesis one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where are you getting this from this? Yeah. So that, that ought to be fun. Um, so I, I, and, and since you mentioned it, I will ask my, my wife, uh, when we were talking about it, about do, this, this, she said, ask him what it's like to be James White's, uh, uh, son-in-law. And I, and I, again, I did, I, 
you know, that, that, that is an interesting question. I'm sure you have a unique place in the, in the, in the world as, as being related to him. And you told me a story about how you first met. I thought that might be fun. Yeah. So, um, how is it? It's great. It truly is great. Um, the man that you see online is the man that he is in person. Uh, he's not always doing polemics at the dinner table, but same, same guy, very consistent. Uh, he has just about the biggest heart of any man that I know. Uh, but I worked, I grew up in Vegas and, uh, I worked on the strip as most people in Vegas do. So I've come in contact with all kinds of celebrities. Um, in particular, I worked at the Las Vegas Hilton, which had this whole Star Trek theme going on downstairs. And I am a big time Trekkie, uh, nice. which, which was brownie points, uh, when I wanted to marry Dr. White's daughter. Um, but anyway, so I, all that to say, I was never nervous around famous people. Um, except that I, I, from the moment I became a Christian about 12 years ago, I was turned on to Dr. White pretty early and he's the one I was nervous to meet out of all the famous people I'd met. I was like this guy, I, I can't possibly meet this guy. I wouldn't know what to say, which turns out is true. Uh, <laughs> so when I started dating his daughter, I was doing some very cordial email correspondence with him. I came down to Arizona to meet him and we sat at a red Robin having dinner, him, myself, the rest of his family. I sat to his right. He was on my left. I sat in complete silence. I didn't look at him. I didn't say a word. I, I don't know if I even acknowledged his existence. And I think he's used to that. He could tell that I was nervous. Uh, so, and I don't think he remembers this, uh, but about 45 minutes into the meal or so, he just looks over at me silently, reaches over and strokes my beard, <laughs> takes his hand away and goes back to eating his pasta with marinara sauce. I definitely did not have the opportunity to say anything to him after that. Um, I still haven't <laughs> talked to him to this day. You know? <laughs> so that, he pretty much established his dominance as the patriarch of the, of the, of the extended family at that point. But no, uh, he's, he's a good man. A very good man. His wife is amazing. I, I love him dearly. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a great relationship to have with your in-laws. And I, I know I've told this story on the show before, but just very quickly, I have an awkward James White story. When, when I first met him, the very first time I met him was when he debated John Shelby Spong. And I did my best to try to sidle up to him. Like during the, during the, the breaks and mm -hmm. stuff, I would just go and stand close so I could hear him talk. And at one point he said, I'm hungry. And I said, I'll go get you some food. And he said, well, go to McDonald's, get me a cheeseburger. So I brought him back the cheeseburger. He gave me his room number. So I go to his hotel room and he's, and he invites me in and I didn't get food for me. I got food for him. So now I'm yep. sitting there awkwardly, not eating, watching him eat a cheeseburger in the most awkward way possible. And he's just, he's being gracious, but I know he wants me to leave, but I don't want to leave because <laughs> I'm with one of my heroes. I'm like, I don't want to leave, but I, I ended up leaving, but it was just, he, I told him that story in Tullahoma and he thought it was, he's like, I don't remember that. I said, I promise you it happened. Cause I went home and told everybody that I watched James White. It is sure. Yep. Heavy breathing and all just, yeah, just, <laughs> just this awkward 26 year old. Cause that's about how old I was. When sure. I met him. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, brother, we are going to talk about uh, one of the most divisive subjects in uh, in the holiday season. And no, we're not going to debate Christmas trees. We're not going to debate whether or not we should tell our kids about Santa. And we're certainly right. not going to debate whether or not we should use wine and communion, because those are the big debates going on right now. Yeah, but what we are going to talk about is whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And just in case people aren't looking at this, if you were listening to this, I just held up the Die Hard Christmas book which was given to me by a church member. So this is actually the story set to the, uh, uh, which was the night before Christmas, but it's the diehard oh, story funny. set to. So, so I am a, I'm a diehard, diehard Christmas fan. And recently you were, you had the temerity. No, no, no. The tenacity, tenacity. to post on your Facebook page yeah. that not only is diehard, not a Christmas movie, right. but you said, and I quote, quote it good because it's true. You, you said it's not even a good movie. No, sir. And, 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 and while I thought we were friends and, you know, yeah. we had had this great baptism conversation and, and I thought we'd really connected on us on a cerebral level. You hurt my soul when you said, <laughs> you know, the, the wounds of a friend, uh, <laughs> somebody had to cut it to you. I, I understand. Listen, if you remember before the year 1985, you have a, a real fond, spot in your heart for a lot of good movies goonies right uh there, there's a whole well, you list. can see behind me all my there, all my posters a whole list of amazing movies and the fact that a man of your caliber would insult himself frankly <laughs> enough to enjoy such a terrible screen adaptation of a classic american novel is just a shame a lot of people don't even know that it is a classic American novel. So that's a very good reference. And, yeah. and, and, uh, did you know that, oh, who was it? Was it Fred Astaire who was first given the opportunity to play the part because he had played the novel was a novelization of, of a series of books and he had played the part and a, a detective. Different... Yep. And so they, mm -hmm. and, and it's like, was it Fred Astaire or is it? I thought it was Frank Sinatra. Frank, but it Frank been... Sinatra. Yep. It was Frank Sinatra. I'm sorry. Yep. Can you imagine Frank Sinatra as John McClane? You know, it might have been a Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So since you and I both are obviously, uh, I don't know if we'd call us seasoned debaters, but we've both been in public debate. We have. We, we have both done this in front of audiences, uh, uh, and 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 we both understand the rules mm. of debate. I decided yeah. not to bring a moderator. I think we can be honest with one another and, sure. and, and moderate ourselves. We are going to do just like a regular debate. I'm going to give Perfect. you an opening statement. I'm going to have an opening statement. We're going to have a, a, a short rebuttal, and then we're going to have cross-examination, and then we'll have a one-sentence closing statement we'll just say this is our you know whatever that is so uh you, and because you are my guest and 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 we really don't i guess the thesis is die hard is a christmas movie and pot and and i'm taking the positive normally the positive goes first but because you are the guest if you want to go first you can go first or i'll go first i will i'm gonna I, I will cut you off right at the heels before you make the few fragile points that you have to support this okay bold assertion all right, so you're going to go first. All right. I, I will gladly go first, my friend. Please, uh, uh, yippee-ki-yay, my friend. Yippee-ki-yay. 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 You got, you got your opening statement, and uh, take it away. All right. Um, so the, on the question of is Die Hard a Christmas movie, brothers and sisters, absolutely, unequivocally, no. No. Uh, and I present three reasons. 
number one, as you already referenced, Keith, uh, it's not even a good movie. Yes, 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 yes. It has redeeming qualities. I loved, I loved that Carl Winslow left New York after his police gig in Ghostbusters. I love that he had a time, ha- had time for another New York cop in LA, but, but it's no wonder that Carl relocated to Chicago after killing a kid. That's not a very Christmassy theme. That'll really slow down the advancement of the career. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, for something to be a Christmas movie, the plot has to actually revolve around Christmas. It's just an action movie, brother, with Christmas references sprinkled throughout like a Presbyterian dream. Number two, IMBD. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Check them out. They know what they're talking about. IMBD not only lists Die Hard as an action movie, but it is somehow recognized as the greatest action movie of the 80s. I don't know how that's possible, given how terrible it is. Nevertheless, there it is on the top of their list. Action. Not Christmas. Now, now some will tout the fact that Bruce Willis himself stated emphatically that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. They'll also mention that the director took a neutral stance by saying that it was not intended to be a Christmas movie, as evidenced, by the way, by the fact that it was released in July, not November. Something that has only been done legitimately one time by a Christmas movie, which was Miracle on 34th Street, and even that release was not done during the Christmas season for purely financial reasons. Now, these claims, right, these true claims, these claims are countered by radical Christmas diehard enthusiasts by citing writers of the script who state that Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie. So balancing all of these statements from those involved, we still don't have a conclusion. Some would say, no, it's not. Some would say, yes, absolutely. And others are neutral on the topic. So this is where it is truly vital to go to the original source. Die Hard was a screen adaptation of a classic American novel by Roderick Thorpe. And let me assure you, Mr. Thorpe did not write a Christmas novel. But as I was suffering through the agony of Bruce Willis's high-rise Rambo sequences, I was comforted by the title of Roderick Thorpe's original title for the story. Nothing lasts forever. And although it felt like an eternity between Bruce Willis making cute little fists with his toes and when he finally chucked Professor Snape out of a building, right? In between there, all of that yuck in between. After all of the terrible dialogue and, and ridiculous shuffling through air ducts, Roderick Thorpe's words rang true to my soul. Nothing lasts forever, and thank God because I couldn't have endured another moment of that movie. Last point. Uh, and this is, by the way, listen up, okay? Hold on to your seat, pal. Even if, even if you were somehow able to show, if you were able to prove that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, the only Jesus that Die Hard is celebrating is the Mormon Jesus. And honestly, I don't think that's a position you want to adopt. As a good Baptist, I'm willing to bet that the vulgar nature of this flick has you watching it on VidAngel, condensing a movie with a runtime of two hours and 12 tediously long minutes down to around 37 minutes, which, come on, 
that can't even properly be called a movie. That's just a short episode of the A-Team. Moreover, seeing as VidAngel is run by Mormons, or at least it was, you can't call anything they put out Christian in any meaningful sense of that term. And where there is no Christ, my friend, there is no real Christmas. God is a God of truth, beauty, and goodness. This movie fails on all three. It does not express anything, even artistically, that is true or points to truth. Every point of this film is ridiculous. A man might squeeze his toes into a little fist, sure. Okay, this probably happens, but let's be honest. No man is ever going to admit it, let alone recommend it to a strange man next to him on an airplane. A full-grown man of 200-plus pounds could never crawl through ductwork and survive. It's not going to happen. And most importantly, what are the chances that a New York cop could really defeat a wizard in one-on-one combat? Hmm? As to beauty, the only beautiful thing about this movie is that it ended. And regard, regarding goodness, well, the movie is not only not a Christmas movie, but as I stated at the beginning, it's not even a good movie. According to every meaningful metric, Die Hard fails to even approach categorization as a Christmas movie. Thank you. Okay, I have to. I'm laughing, so I had to mute myself. I was laughing the the, the, the whole time you were talking, not just because you oh, and you're drinking while just grape juice. I said we weren't going to have that conversation. No debates. No, oh, no. Really? This is just what Baptists drink. Oh, okay. <laughs> if ever if people who don't know, that's like a huge thing on Twitter right now is the <laughs> is the debate over and whether whether it's effeminate to have Welch's grape juice for 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 communion. So. Right. All right. Well, that was awesome. I love the fact. I love how much effort you put into it. Um, unfortunately, it was futile. But we'll see. Uh, this is uh, this is going to be my my argument. And and, and I didn't. I, unfortunately, I didn't time yours. I do think mine will be a little shorter. But uh, but we'll see. If if I go if I go longer and you want an extra minute, you're welcome to have it. I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to be unfair. As I, I said, I preemptively uh, cede my additional time, sir. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let I went. Okay. I'm going to begin. I'll bring myself up as the, uh, the main person here. So when we discuss the question of is Die Hard a Christmas movie, we have to begin by saying that the, the very concept of a Christmas movie is itself somewhat nebulous and hard to actually grab a hold of because the, the arena of Christmas movies that that which that that which classifies or qualifies as Christmas movies and universally accepted Christmas movies is such a wide and diverse group that it's 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 a difficult thing even to be able to come at and say for certain and I'm I don't want to make this a rebuttal I want to make this an opening statement so I'm going to try not to address things that Eric said in his opening statement. I do appreciate how much effort he put into it. But here are three things that I think are required for a movie to be considered a Christmas movie. And we're going to talk about why other movies would qualify in these three requirements. And because other movies fit these qualifications, Die Hard would have to fall into 
this category. The first is that it is set at Christmas. The second is that it makes references, overt references to Christmas. And the third is that it is themed around the holiday spirit, the Christmas spirit. And so let's begin by asking the question, is this movie set at Christmas? Well, obviously it's set at Christmas. The very first thing we see is a man who is traveling to be with his family at Christmas. They've been separated because of a job situation. And so he's traveling. He's carrying a Christmas present. There's Christmas music playing. The very first thing that we see in the film is this this or, or is the setting and the setting is Christmas. And and there are other movies that are considered Christmas classics, which have nothing to do with Christmas, except the fact that they are set at Christmas. For instance, It's a Wonderful Life is set at Christmas. Nothing else in the film really is forcing Christmas, except that it's set at Christmas, as well as Home Alone. Home Alone is 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 undeniably a Christmas film. And why is it a Christmas film? Well, it's a Christmas film because it's set at Christmas. So the first thing, the setting is there. It's set at Christmas. And so it meets the first qualification of a Christmas movie. The second qualification is the references to Christmas. Now, I, I didn't do this research myself, but I did find this research online. And I, I, I'll, I can put the link in the description if someone wants to know where I got this information. But here, here are the, the, the overt references to Christmas in Die Hard. There are 19 Christmas trees seen in the movie Die Hard. There are 15 other Christmas decorations, whether it be lights or tinsel or things like that. There are 12 Christmas carols that are either sung, hummed, or whistled, because at one point it's Carl Winslow uh, whistling a Christmas carol. Yes, and I say Carl Winslow too, uh, which is the uh, police officer played by Reginald Bell Johnson. Uh, There are uh, 13 uses of the word Christmas. And there are four other uh, just uncategorized er uh, references to Christmas. And and one of my favorite lines of the film is when the the character played by Clarence Gilliard, who also played in uh, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, he was Ranger Trevette. Uh, and, and in this movie, he was Theo, uh, which is my son's name. And he said, Theo said, uh, we're going to need a miracle to get through the seventh lock. And the great Alan Rickman, who, 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 who must stand as a paragon of ultimate acting chops. And he said, it's Christmas. It's the season of miracles. So he even references Christmas as the, the reason why he feels like this is going to work because it's the season of miracles. And then finally, the subject of the theme of Christmas spirit. And this is where I think we may get into really a hard back and forth in the cross-examination of this debate because uh, Eric had mentioned just, and again, I'm not, I'm not rebutting this, but that it's not the spirit of the movie. The spirit of the movie is altruism, self-sacrifice, love of neighbor, and reconciliation. These are all things that go with the Advent slash Christmas holiday theme. Advent is about hope, love, joy, and peace. All four of those things are the are the are the principles that this movie is based on. The conversations between Reginald Bell Johnson and 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 John McClane. I know I'm saying I forget his name in the movie. Al Powell is his name. He's a police officer, and how he's telling him to have hope. Don't give up. We're all rooting for you. We're praying for you. We we want you to survive. And then when they see each other at the end, they talk about their kids playing together. This is a movie about self sacrifice, love of neighbor, reconciliation. All of these things are the themes of the movie.
And I know that some people would say this can't be a Christmas movie because it has bad language. Well, if that's the case, then neither can Christmas Vacation or Christmas Story because both of those movies have terrible language. Um, Some people would say it can't be a Christmas movie because it has violence. Well, Ralphie beat Scott Farkas almost to death. So don't tell me it can't be a Christmas movie. It has some violence in it. And they say it doesn't feel like Christmas. Well, feelings are subjective and, and appeals to authority are a logical fallacy. So I don't care what the writers say, and I don't care what Bruce Willis says, because those are appeals to authority, and I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned with objective truth. And if Home Alone counts, if if Christmas Story counts, then Die Hard must count, because, well, it really is Home Alone for adults. So that is my argument, that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That was... uh... That, that was really strung together. Um, <laughs> it was really strung together. That's, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that was nice or not. That was, <laughs> you did your best, sir. Um, so I don't know what, what, you, what you're thinking on timing here. Right, All right. Well, but... let's do a re- let's let's do our rebuttal statement. So yeah. you you heard what I said. I wrote down some of what you said. I'll give you as much time as you want to rebut, and then I'll try to match that time by whatever. So you mentioned in your in your statement there that that the concept of a Christmas movie is nebulous. I'm going to agree with you on this. Uh, There are all sorts of Christmas movies, legitimate Christmas movies, which which you might not even think are are Christmas movies and vice versa. Right. Movies that aren't overtly outward Christian or Christmassy that you could properly call a Christmas movie. You gave a couple good examples by the way you said number one in this nebulous arena of self feelings and and what however you define what a christmas movie is you said number one what binds it together is that it's set at christmas two overt references to christmas and three that it, it has themes that that surround the holiday spirit um yep now home alone uh, the whole theme is Christian. And, and, and there's, I mean, Kevin goes to church. He's got old man Marley with the, the, the injuries on his hands who comes in as this formerly scary father figure that he's terrified of. But after he goes to church, after he prays to God, he appears to himself as this man with wounds on his hands that comes and saves, uh, saves Kevin from the enemy, saves, ke- saves Kevin from death at the hands of the evil one. How, if you could, like, of course, Home Alone is a Christmas movie. That's not, it's nothing nebulous about Home Alone. So that one, oh, duh, it's a Christmas movie. Uh, you mentioned a couple others. It's a Wonderful Life. Listen, with that cast, it has to be a Christmas movie. All right. Um, you said that there's a, a few, and I just wrote down two, <clears throat> that in Die Hard, there's 19 Christmas trees. And there's 15 scenes with tinsel, for example. Listen, if that's your, if this is the standard you're using, I want you to be consistent here, okay? Because as somebody has said, inconsistency is the sign of a failed argument. If Christmas trees and tinsel make for a Christmas movie, my friend, you would have to admit that Twilight is a Christmas movie. Twilight is set in a pine forest and the vampires themselves sparkle like tinsel. Nobody in their right mind would say that Twilight is a Christmas movie. And honestly, nobody would even say it's a good movie. It's not. 
there's no redeeming stuff there. Now, the theme of this movie, uh, it's not reconciliation. You br- you brought up his family. Yeah, come on, his family. He's a, it's a last ditch effort to save his wife, who took a watch as a sign of this covenant to her company that she was making money for. She wanted to be the career woman, uh, and big old John had to come in and save the day. Okay, but what was he sa- what was he saving the day from? Right. This this the movie wasn't about reconciliation. Reconciliation was thrown in there. This was about a bunch of Eastern Europeans with terrible, mind you, German accents, terrorizing a poor company, shaking them down for money. They're thieves. Okay, language and violence you brought up don't disqualify a movie as a Christmas movie. I agree with that actually. God, because He makes back to my opening statement, because He makes things that are good and beautiful and true, right? God only makes things that are good and beautiful and true. He doesn't make anything else. Uh, Yeah, we can have art that has language in it that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. And we can still see these themes and say, hey, this is at least pointing to something that is good and beautiful and true. Listen, a grown man clenching his tiny little feet into a bloody fist for comfort. That just borders... That's a little creepy, if anything. That's a little weird. People, unfortunately, I won't even go into it. Some people like that, and that's strange. Appeals to authority. We all make appeals to authority, my friend. And mind you, I didn't appeal to the authority of Bruce Willis. I mentioned that he said it's not a Christmas movie. I didn't appeal to the screenwriter. I didn't appeal to anyone else. Who did I appeal to? I appealed to the ultimate author of this thing, the, the, the original author, Mr. Thorpe, right? That, if you're going to say we can't appeal to authority, if we can't appeal to the actual author of a work, then you can't appeal to the Bible at all, my friend. It, it is a very appeal to authority for, that makes the book, the Bible, relevant. And we can go to it and we can know this is the author's intent and this is what he meant. If you go to the book, Mr. Thorpe, good sir, this, this is not a Christmas story. Of course we appeal to authority. We all appeal to authority. The question is which authority we appeal to, and I would I would give to you, I'd present to you, my friend, we must appeal to the original source. Oh, man. Okay. All right. So that, that there was a lot there, and uh, it, but per the rules of debate, I am supposed to respond to your original statement. This is supposed to be my rebuttal to that. So I'm not supposed to bring in your uh, your rebuttal in my rebuttal, but it's going to be it it's huh. I, I'll I'll allow it a little bit. Go for it. Okay. I was going to say I, 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 <laughs> trying to stay because I know at some point you know we're going to have some debate fanatics who watch this and they'll they'll give us a hard time. So want to want to be. Fair. All right. So I, I have I wrote the whole time you were talking. If people saw me, I was back and forth. I was I was writing down a couple things uh, right away. I just want to I want to say that your reference to Carl Winslow, that's a chef's kiss because I love it. The fact that that's how he was in Ghostbusters. You mentioned that. That's great. So I'm 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 commending you for having an encyclopedic knowledge of pop culture, which is what what will certainly make us fast friends. And I appreciate it. But you are still very, very wrong. And uh, I, I want to just reference a few areas that 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 you have missed the uh, missed the point here. You said the movie's not about reconciliation, but the movie is 
all about reconciliation because even though we have this scenario where the uh, the bad guys are coming in, they're taking over the 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 Nakatoma Plaza, all this thing is happening. That is actually the the parallel between the two relationship issues which are going on between uh, John and his wife at the beginning and the end the, the, at the beginning they're estranged at the beginning they are separated at the beginning they are they, they he he's going to go to her house he's not they're not even going to sleep in the same bed she had I, I have a guest room made up for you right so so they're not even in a situation where they're in a intimate marriage relationship but at the end they are embracing kissing in the back of the limousine as they drive away Argyle carries them away so there is this theme of reconciliation that's throughout the film. And so I, I would, I would contest that that is certainly true. Uh, secondly, you mentioned that, that we are supporting the Mormon Jesus. And, and, and I, 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 I have to tell you, you're incorrect. You're not incorrect about VidAngel, but you're incorrect about me because I actually get my movies from a company called Holy Moly Media. Right. Holy Moly Media produces DVDs that are edited they edit out language, sexual content, and grotesque violence, any type of overt violence. And the movie was still feature length. <laughs> it was like, I always tell people, it's like watching it on TBS or TBN. If you watch it on TV, they cut out the, the bad things. Or they might replace a word, you know, like yippee Kaye becomes hippie by day, Ricky Martin. You know, it's like something, you know, <laughs> something different. So the, 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 the people at Holy Moly Media, I've actually had conversations with them. I've done a video about their company. So it, I'm not supporting Mormonism. I'm not supporting Mormons. And so uh, I, I, I rebut your assertion on that. Um, but I do agree that VidAngel is a Mormon company. So those who use VidAngel, th th they may have to take that into consideration. Uh, you, you said he had, uh, uh, looking at the story of Kevin from home alone, because this is really one of the best arguments I think from a logistical perspective is the argument of home alone and, and Die Hard being the same movie, just in two different settings. Because again, you have reconciliation at the beginning. Uh, Kevin is estranged from his family at the end. He is reconciled to his mother specifically, who's sort of in that place of that person that he has to reconcile with. And in the center, you have the wet bandits who are the bad guys. Well, in Die Hard, you have the John McClane and his, and his wife. And in the center, you have the Eastern European terrorist led by the greatest of all European terrorists ever. And how dare you say he has a bad accent? Alan Rickman is the man. How just, just sir. Anyway. So, but in, in home alone, you mentioned injuries to the hands of of the of the man and how he represents a savior figure john mcclain gets injuries to his feet he's literally bleeding out of his feet and he saves his wife who represents the bride of christ so don't tell me it doesn't have a christmas theme a christian theme because there's salvation there's 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 reconciliation and uh, from a man who's bleeding and and uh, uh standing for his bride so uh and and and, and i would agree the fist with the toes thing it's a little weird. So I'll give you that one. And Tarantino. I'll close. It is. It's very, <laughs> it's very Tarantino-esque. So I will, I will concede that fists with the toes is weird. And the guy who said it looked a little too excited to be talking about it. So that's my rebuttal. Lovely. Um, do, do we go into cross-examination at this point or how are we doing with this uh, old king of the amillennialists? Oh, yes. Hey, thank you. Thank you for the uh, for the reference. And that debate's coming up for people who don't know. I'm going to be debating Perfect. Spencer Smith on the subject of the rapture. And I hope it's as fun as this. 
because uh, Spencer's Spencer's a pretty uh, pretty serious guy, but he's been he's been having fun with me. We have a we have a phone call planned for this afternoon. We're going to yeah. talk about the debate, so it is happening. And you know what? I, if, if, just on a brief side note, if you're wrong on the whole rapture thing, I'm sure you're willing to change your mind midair, right? This yeah, is not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, if 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 Jesus takes us out today. I'm going to be like, yay. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So cross-examination, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we, why don't we, instead of like three minutes and three minutes, why don't you ask a question? And I'll ask a question. Sure. And that, okay. that'll be a little different than normal. So you get to go first. You can ask me your first question. How strongly by, by the, by, by the terms that you set, right. When you're talking about Christmas trees and tinsel, how would you rule out something such as twilight using that standard as a christmas movie very good question that was in your rebuttal so i didn't mention it in my rebuttal but that i wanted to get to that because twilight even though it has certain vestiges of christmas such as again glitter um glitter by itself doesn't make a christmas movie tinsel by itself wouldn't make a christmas movie even a christmas card on a table or something in a movie wouldn't make it a christmas movie uh it's it's the it's the it's overt references to Christmas. And this is where like, like Rambo, the original, the original Rambo movie, I jokingly say it's a Christmas movie, but the only references to Christmas are a Christmas tree, uh, Christmas lights and the weather. And so I don't, I don't push for that as much because it never mentions Christmas in the movie as, as a reason for anything that's happening and, and the cold weather is part of it. So, so I, I, I do have a line. I do think there's a, there's a line that makes something more objective in, in regard to a Christmas movie. So, so I would say, uh, uh, they're, they're just those just glitter and tinsel and, and weird vampires doesn't make something a Christmas movie. Okay. All right. So my first question, uh, for you, as I said, we're going to go back and forth is what would be the fundamental difference, uh, from, the movie home alone and the movie die hard. What would be your fundamental difference to say this one is Christmas. This one is not. And you can't, and, and, and I want to cl clarify that and simply say leaving out. And I know I can't, I can't tell you how to answer, but I, I would say leave out the fact that you might not like one movie just objectively. What's the difference? Yeah, so uh, objectively, and, and I, I am not one to, I do not believe that truth and beauty and goodness are subjective things. They're rooted in the very, very much so objective God and his creation. Right. So it does come down to truth and beauty and goodness. Uh, the, the, as I pointed out in my opening statement, the, tr the truth of, uh, <laughs> the truth of a 200 something pound man crawling, there's all kinds of stuff in there, right? Of a 200 something pound man crawling through ductwork, it's not going to happen. Now, could I see a couple of ba wet bandits slipping on some cars? Sure. You know, slipping down some stairs. Sure. It's just more true but it really comes down to the issue of beauty and goodness home alone I, like i said home alone is a beautiful movie it is overtly a christian movie it's it goes to church uh, kevin goes to church in his time of need he expressly calls upon god for help uh, somebody shows up as a as a savior figure to rescue him uh, there's no type of calling upon god uh, there's references to maybe a Christian's or a civic holiday and, and a cultural 
reference to Christmas with some hats and drinking and a bunch of cocaine in, in Die Hard, right? But it's just a big civic party. That's all that it is. It's not actually rooted in the truth and beauty of what actually sits as the foundation of Christmas, which is Christ, home alone on the other hand, really does. He's in a problem and he doesn't go to his own strength or his own his self and try to pull himself up by his bootstraps. It's only after appealing to God for help that Kevin is actually able to accomplish anything meaningful. That's not true with, with Die Hard. He does it all on his own. It is... It is Rambo in an office building. I just love the fact that before we go to the next question, uh, I just love the fact of how serious we're taking this. I just don't know. I don't know if anybody appreciates how much this is a real. De- <laughs> like, 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 I know we're being we're having fun with it, but like we're like, like we're treating this like a real debate. Uh, I will let everybody <laughs> in on a secret. I've watched the movie once. And, and see, that's I, what I really I didn't enjoy it. I think that's so brilliant. I just love the fact that you know a lot about it for somebody who has only seen it once. Well, uh, yeah. okay. All right. So I don't know how many other questions you have. I have only have one or two, so I'll let you ask the next question. Um, let's go to the, the language and, and the violence issue, right? Okay. Um, I actually, I was aware that you didn't use VidAngel. I saw that other video of yours, uh, Holy Moly Media, I think is what it's called. It's a terrible name, but uh, no, they, do good, they do a good job. Great. They should be, they should sponsor your channel. Cause this is a lot of, uh, a lot of time that they're getting here today, but so Holy Moly Media makes Christian con- They're explicitly Christian. I'm assuming by the name. Um, is there a line here as far as how, what type of content? Right. Let's say let's say in, in theory have it an explicitly Christian story. Let's say you have the passion of the Christ. Take out the second commandment issue, all that. Right. But you have the passion of the Christ. This is just explicitly a Christian story from the Bible, but they update it with modern language like Romeo and Juliet in the hood. Right. And, and it's filled with now all sorts of of explicit unnecessary vulgarity uh and unnecessary violence would you say that even that explicitly christian story has now been polluted and tainted uh to is it is it possible here's the explicit question is it possible that that pollution and tainting of unfilthy unwholesome stuff can actually bring what would otherwise be a christmas movie down to the level of it's no longer a christmas movie Okay, I, I think I, <clears throat> I think I understand the general nature of the question, and 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 I I'll, I want to give two answers because I think one is a personal preference answer, and I think two is more on the subject of uh, objective. There are Christmas movies that are in that are intended to be Christmas that are not wholesome, like Bad there's Santa. movies. A bad, well, bad Santa, but I was thinking like there's, I think there's a movie called Black Christmas, which is like a Christmas, uh, like a Christmas horror movie. And so I, I would, I would never watch that. I would never show that to my family. I would never enjoy that, but I would still say it's a Christmas movie because it's, it's, it's using, it's, it's meeting those three criteria, right? Set at Christmas. It's, you know, even the Christmas themes that are mistreated in it, it's still focused on this idea of Christmas, right? It's, it's, and so I would still, I would still qualify it from an objective standpoint, even though I would say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't, I don't like, there's a movie where, where, um, I've never seen it, but, um, the, the, the wrestler, uh, 
oh goodness, what was his name? A big, strong wrestler, like one of the biggest, strongest guys ever. He played Santa and he was just like, Santa lost his mind and started killing people. It was like crazy. Uh, uh, it wasn't The Rock, but it was one of those big wrestlers. Um, uh, uh, Goldberg, Goldberg mm. played played Santa. And 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 I didn't, I, I saw the preview for it. I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I would never want to see this, but that is still a, technically a christmas movie so so it qualifies um <clears throat> when it comes to die hard i do have a soft spot for die hard because i grew up watching it and this is where it comes back to personal i grew up watching it at my grandmother's house it came on saturday afternoons and it came on with all the censoring so i never knew that there was a lot of bad language i never knew that you know there was so much blood and everything because i didn't i never saw that and when i grew up and you know those things you know, like I saw it for real. I was almost like, I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I want it. I want it. That's why I like Holy Moly Media because it provides me a, a way to enjoy something from my, even, even Christmas vacation. And this is where I think like, like nobody debates whether Christmas vacation is a Christmas movie, but is it a movie you can enjoy with your, your family? I had to get the edited version because my kids, I don't want my kids to hear uh, Clark Griswold doing his 10 minute rant about his boss and calling him all those very ugly names, including some you know, I mean, he says the F word several times. And so it's like, I, yeah, I mean, great movie, but I have to have the edited version to enjoy it. So that's the subjective part. I can enjoy the movie, but I'm going to enjoy it without having to hear cousin Eddie say the, the, the thing is full. And, you know, if, if you know the movie, you know, what I'm talking about, but he said, you know, the, 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 the bad word is, is full. This, mm. this, the scuba line. Yes. Yes. It's full. So, so that's, that's, that's my two answers. It's a great question, but that's where I think, yes, there are some movies that I certainly could never enjoy. They're still Christmas movies, but they're bad. And then here's why I can enjoy these. All right. Great. All right so my, uh, and this can be our, uh, if you have another question or not, we can begin to draw. Cause we, we've, we've been, I think we sure. beat this pretty, but last, last one for me on the subject of that, <clears throat> if that is a standard that we're holding and saying, okay, we can't, because it has this, this scatological language. Uh, I, I think that's the right way of saying it. Um, do you, do you think Christmas vacation is a Christmas movie? Yes or no. And, and you, and you can explain why or not, but. So here's, I, th I think where we're not far apart in age, but we are different generations. You're, I, I think by your, are you Gen X? You're, yeah, I'm Gen X. I'm not. And I really do think that some of this is a generational divide. And I think that as much as you might want to think you're being objective in this, I really do think the nostalgia is playing a huge part in here because with, with Christmas vacation, I'm 37. You're, you're 43. five or six years older than me, right? Uh, in that time frame right there between whatever it was, 19, 1980 and 1986, uh, is when all these movies were coming out. You grew up with them. Yeah. I'll tell you the same thing with Christmas Vacation. I've seen it once and I was about eight years old. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Home Alone is what I grew up with, right? And so maybe yeah, I've got this nostalgia now for Home Alone. Uh, but but that comes back to right there. That would even prove that this is there's so much subjectivity in this that to act as if... Uh, Act as if there's really some type of objective standard that we could use on, on this movie is a little bit funny, but I no, I, I would say I've seen the movie once. I couldn't tell you anything about it other than I think there's a moose glass in it. So I don't know. <laughs> I, 
I love you. I just love that, that you said there's a moose glass. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, that's the right <laughs> reference. Did I get uh, it? Yes, yes. That's the, but, but that's from the first vacation when they went to Wally World where Marty Moose is the character instead of Mickey Mouse. They go to Because they, they wanted to use Disney World, but Disney wouldn't let them use it in the movie. So they created Wally World, Perfect. which is a which is a obviously a fake, you know, Walt Disney, Wally, Roy Wally World. And it was the moose, Marty Moose. Yeah. So I just uh, to answer that, yeah, sure. I guess it's a Christmas movie, but what do I know? I've only seen the thing once and I was a kid. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we're ending the debate. I'm going to let you have your final sentence and you can appeal to your side of the audience. And then we're going to let people vote in the comments. They can vote whether or not you think Eric took me to task and proved that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Or you can say that I was right, and that's why there's been a book written about it. And I'm gonna. And by the way, I love your shirt. I don't think I mentioned it, but you have now. I have a machine gun, which is from the movie. Which is so from the movie. Um, I appreciate that that connection. All right. So just a quick uh, closing statement on this. Excuse me. I don't want to skew the voting. One second. <laughs> um. Mm, yummy. Nothing like that grape juice. Um. Closing statement. It really does come down to a few simple facts. If we admit that there is objective beauty and there is objective truth and there is objective goodness, by what standard are we determined that which is objectively good and true and beautiful? Are, are we using the standard of nostalgic videos from when we were a child? Are we using the standard that was set forth by Christ? If we use the standard that is set forth by Christ and we look at the themes of Die Hard, right, we might be able to say that the, the, the topic of this debate isn't, is it a good movie? I disagree. I don't think it's good. I was really bored. But that doesn't even matter, right? IMBD, I will appeal to their authority. They say it is the best action movie of the 80s. But what they don't say is that it is even in the list of Christmas movies. It's not a Christmas movie by an objective standard that is used far and wide. It's not a Christmas movie. Is it a good movie? I'd say no. It's an action movie that is set at Christmas. I conclude. Well, thank you, Eric, for your conclusion. And I will also uh, conclude my argument by simply saying that I think that one thing that we have agreed, and I think we both would agree on today, is that this certainly does come down to some nostalgic realities. But you mentioned an objective truth. So I will I will make this an objective truth. Oftentimes we are able to better judge beauty and uh, value of something by whether or not it stands the test of time. And so when we say objective by looking at something objectively, has this film stood the test of time? It is still one of the highest watched films. And you know when it's always watched, according to statistics, it's always watched in November and December. That's when people, that's when the, the ratings go up. So objectively, people see it as a Christmas film and they're keeping it alive because it is objectively a good movie. So uh, a good Christmas movie. So that's my final word on the subject. Bravo, sir. <laughs> All right. Bravo to you. We'll clap for each other. And what's funny is we did 40, 50 minutes on something that doesn't matter. I mean, come on. If we, if we have to be online debating anything, I would rather it be this. 
than all of the garbage that people are bickering over on the internet now. But with that in mind, we're about to talk about some of that garbage that people are bickering about online. Yes. And I did want, because I have you, and of course we rarely get, we've never done this before and we, we rarely get to really chat. We don't live near each other or anything. And when we do talk, it's only on Facebook. I recently had an issue come up that I wanted to at least get your thoughts on. Um, and I want to, I want to preface this by saying we're going to make a hard right turn and everything from here on out is going to be a little more serious. This show is going to go on for a little while longer. And uh, if you're leaving us now, please if you liked what you saw, like and subscribe. But I encourage you to stay because this part's going to be more valuable than the part that was before. And uh, keep in mind that, you know, uh, this channel does funny and it does serious. And that's what I hope. Uh, I hope you come for the funny and stay for the serious. So uh, that, that's that's part of what we're doing. But what, what the issue is, is that the subject of baptism is something that Eric and I have discussed at length because we've both done debates on the subject of baptism. And uh, one of the issues that we often have to deal with as Baptists is how we qualify or, 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 or how we understand baptisms that are not done in accord with our understanding of how baptism is supposed to be done. So the first thing I want to ask Eric to do, um, as a man who's debated baptism, who's obviously studied this subject at length, can you give us in a in a you know condensed version the difference between our understanding of baptism and the understanding of a Presbyterian baptism? And the reason why I'm speaking of Presbyterian specifically, because when we get to Lutheran and Roman Catholic and others, there, there's a vast difference. But yeah. our understanding of baptism and Presbyterian understanding of baptism isn't as as vast as people might understand. It's really deals with who's in the covenant. But I'm going to give it to you for a few minutes to just sort of outline that. And then that, that, that'll that bring up the question that we're going to discuss. Yeah. So it really, and you know, this can be hard in a few minutes, and I'm sure that there'll be Baptists on here that are going to want me to say more and clarify and, and the other way Presbyterians. But just broadly speaking, especially for those who aren't familiar, this this really does come down to, I would argue, this is why I did the debate on the topic that I did. I think this comes down to our understanding of God's covenant, and it comes down to ultimately who is it that is part of the covenant of grace, and who is it that is not a part of the covenant of grace, uh, where we and the Presbyterians are, are, are so in unity, right? And why we can call each other brother and, and why we can do ministry with one another, etc., is because if you were to stack up, and I'm just going to use these two as examples, there are variations. But if you were to look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the 1689 and the Westminster, put them side by side, there's actually a tabular comparison available online from uh, Prognosco. Um, it's good. You can look at everything that's the same between the Westminster, the Savoy, and the 1689. And you can look explicitly at what is different on the issue of baptism, which bleeds into the issue of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the question of who is in the covenant is ultimately going to be determinative of who receives the sign of baptism, right? The Presbyterian is going to make an argument Um I would argue from what they would say is good and necessary consequences. And I'm going to try to be fair here. I would disagree. And I think that there's explicit uh, teachings in the scriptures that, that would not allow for their conclusions. However, we don't need to debate that. Uh, their baptism is still symbolizing the very same thing that our baptism is symbolizing. They don't believe that it's the application of the water that actually saves. They don't believe that it's the water itself 
that actually regenerates a person. Neither do we. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit alone. And this water is a sign and a seal of membership within the new, the new covenant, right? Membership within this administration of the covenant of grace. And the Presbyterian is going to argue and say, hey, just like we see in the Old Testament over and over and over again, uh, the, the covenant of grace, they would argue, which I would dif- disagree on that, but they would argue the covenant of grace uh, is always made uh, with, a, with a, it's a household type of covenant, right? And, and the children were included in all of those previous administrations of the covenant of grace. God nowhere explicitly removes children from an administration of the covenant of grace. Therefore, we are, ought to still include our children in what, what would be the visible church. And they wouldn't say that this means that they're part of the invisible church or not. This is simply saying they're part of the covenant community. They're part of the visible church. That's that. And this, this, um, the baptism itself is an initiatory sign of that. And it will not necessarily at the time of administration confer grace upon the elect, right? Now the Baptists on the other hand, and there's going to be a couple differences here. I think you and I are actually pretty close. Um, but in short, uh, we would say, no, a child is not a member of the covenant of grace by virtue of their relationship with a believing parent. Uh, the new covenant really is new. It really is different. It's not simply a different administration of something that happened before. It's new. It has a new high priest, a better high priest that is actually able to intercede in the heavenly tabernacle for all of its members and Jeremiah and Hebrews both say, here's what the new covenant is. The new covenant is essentially the forgiveness of sins, right? You have Jesus Christ as your federal head. He is your representative. He is your intercessor that can only properly be said of those who have regenerate, who have regenerated hearts, those who have been given the gift of regeneration and exercise that God given faith, reaching out and grasping Christ and his promises. We would say that's who's in the new covenant because those who are in the new covenant receive forgiveness of sins. And the way that we as fallible humans recognize who it is that has actually been brought into that covenant by Christ and his spirit is we recognize that not by understanding if they're regenerate, it's by profession. Has this person professed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Has their pattern of life actually shown a pattern of repentance? We as humans at this point now have a reasonable uh, um reason to believe that this person on account of, the, of what has happened in their life, the supernatural change, that's only a result of the Holy Spirit. And therefore we administer the sign of baptism to them because it's only those who actually have regeneration that properly should, uh, that, that are properly in the new covenant. And it's only them therefore that should receive the sign of the new covenant. I can boil that down to something simpler if you want, but I think that's the shortest, fairest. No, I, I think you're right. Uh, I, I think the way you explained it was very good. And I would definitely agree also that the, the distinction between the Presbyterian and the Baptist and it, it, is, is, or, or not, not distinction rather, but the, um, what brings us together is both seeing it as a sign of, of God's work rather than something that a causal thing. Like when I, when I did my discussion with the Lutherans, I had, I had a group of Lutherans on 
<clears throat> and they said, no, we believe in baptismal regeneration. We believe that baptism is causal. It's, it's effectuous. Right. And even with my debate with the, uh, with Redeem Zoomer, he, he sort of tried to take a middle road there where, you know, where he, he sort of take a, took a position, which some Presbyterians take. <clears throat> and that is that it, it has the power to produce regeneration and therefore we give it because it you know we don't know when regeneration is going to happen but it it could happen then it could happen later and it, it's independent of the time but it's effectuous and that was one of the things he brought up for me is how how do you believe it's effectuous or do you believe it's effectuous and we say well it's effectuous as a sign but not as a not as a causal agent um and, and where where the issue arises and and has come up with me recently and, and i'm almost hesitant to mention this because i don't want to make this something that creates a controversy, especially with my channel or people that listen to me. But the question was brought up to me, does your church accept people who have not been baptized as a believer? And I said, our church requires for membership for a person to have been baptized as a believer. And I'd asked you that, you know, if you, where you stand on that, and you said you had been in a church previously that held that so you understood that position i'm sorry to put i, I, I don't know if, yeah. if that's okay to mention i hope i, spoke, hope so. I spoke with that pastor yesterday <laughs> no big deal okay yeah. great so um so that that's kind of where I, I i wanted to to bring this up is how do we see the baptism of infants as baptists do we see it as sinful do we see it as simply a wrong administration or how how do we because that's the question that was asked to me. Well, well, if you if 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 you accept Presbyterians as brothers, but you're not accepting their baptism, how are you accepting them as brothers? And mm -hmm. and my answer, and, and I'm gonna let you answer as well. But my answer was that I I be, we we see there the administration of baptism is in error, but we're not mm -hmm. saying that they are in damnable error or any kind of damnable heresy. We simply see that administration of baptism as as incorrect. And so um, would you, would you add to that? Or would you have thoughts if somebody asked you that question, what, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah. So let's say the hard part, it shouldn't be a hard part, but let's say the hard part first, right? Okay. If we're going to be honest Baptists and we're going to be honest Presbyterians, both of us believe that the other is in sin. Uh, this mm. doesn't mean we don't love you guys or that you don't love us, but anytime you explain, you go against what the scriptures say, you're you're in sin, and 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 can I just I, I hate to interrupt you. R.C. Sproul said that. R.C. Sproul said that in his conversation with John MacArthur, he said one of us is wrong, and therefore one of us would see the other as in sin. So so this is you're not saying anything that somebody should. If somebody hears that and begins to light up the comments and say, "Oh, Eric said this," or mm -hmm. Keith said this. We we all understand this. We're saying the other is wrong, and when you're mm -hmm. wrong about theology, it's there's sin involved. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. But with with all that in mind, you know, there's a difference. But because, as I mentioned a minute ago, the gospel and the Christ and the God that is being presented by the Presbyterian, by the OPC church a mile up the street from my house here, is the very same gospel and the very same Christ and the very same God that is being presented at Apologia. We have the same message of restoration with God, right? We are, therefore, we are both true churches. Um but th this isn't a new debate, right? And a lot of people can get online um, 
in the 21st century and think, wow, I've stumbled upon something entirely new. Aha, you haven't thought of this. That's not the case. This, this, this was going on 350 years ago. There was this open communion debate, which we can define those terms if necessary. In, in short, the question that was going on uh, uh, 350 years ago between um, oh, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress? Um, oh, John, John, Bunyan. John Bunyan and yeah. um, uh, Spillsbury came in there and um, uh, William Kiffin was involved in this debate. Stalwarts uh, uh, of historic Baptist theology, especially in the Reformed world. Uh, this debate was going on between them. Hey, who do we accept into our church? Who do we accept into communion, into fellowship? Who is it that's actually allowed to get this? Bunyan would say, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 faith that actually forms the church, right? The substance is faith, but the way that the church is formed is by profession of faith, and that is what it was. And because of this, John Bunyan had open communion. He would allow those who were baptized as infants or those who were not baptized at all to come to the Lord's table and to take part of all of those downstream benefits of being part of a local assembly. Uh, William Kiffin came in against John Bunyan. William Kiffin was like, um, no, uh, like we see all over the pages of scripture that you're baptized first and then you see, uh, then you're admitted to fellowship and you're admitted to the Lord's Supper. Um, and this was, this. there were these two sides here, right? Uh, uh, Kiffin would say it was baptism that actually forms the church and therefore you have to have a proper administration and you have to have it done according to biblically, right? You can't be doing this wrong. Well, that brings up all kinds of potential problems. How, how do you avoid at that point, every time somebody transfers membership, you don't know if the very tippity top crown of their head was actually fully immersed or not, right? Is that a valid baptism if the water only came up to the middle of their forehead? I think any reasonable person would say, yes, that's a valid baptism. Hey, they missed the top of the head. It's all right. But if we're going to say that, we would also have to ask the question, why then is pouring or sprinkling not an acceptable form of baptism? If you don't actually have to have this done perfectly for it to be valid and counted as a sign of fellowship with other believers, why then would we not allow for those who are sprinkled? Or, or different modes, and, and why wouldn't we allow for that? For that, and this debate was raging, and then Spillsbury came in with this rather controversial. But I think this is the answer that we need. He, he came in with with this mediating view, which was he he said that we have to recognize that the elements of worship, that baptism, the Lord's Supper, all of, and, and regenerating faith, all of this belongs to God, and it belongs to Him proper. It's His, and He knows who this is. It belongs to Him, and we need to seek to obey Him. However, the administration and the mode of how this happens belongs properly to the local church and the local church's constitution. Therefore, because of this, we can recognize that the substance, if it would, of what is happening and what is being represented in either of these baptisms is the very same substance and the very same promise of the very same Savior, very same grace, faith, etc., is being represented by both of these. One of them was done properly, those who are immersed all the way to the top of their head. The other, we would have to recognize, is an error. However, human error does not negate what God is actually saying in his baptism. Baptism is not simply a person's profession of faith. It is that. But it is also God's promise 
that, uh, you know, here's what's involved in the new covenant. And you're a member of that. People do this wrongly. People err in this. And some people err so much that their church stops even being a church. Uh, I don't think that either of us would say that's true of the OPC church up the street. If they're preaching what their confession says, we would say they're brothers. Um, Okay, so there, I think there does have to be this mediating thing where we recognize we're both seeking faithfulness to the scriptures. We both want to apply what it says, but your baptism that you performed over there represented the very same thing that ours does. Both of us recognize that the person that was being baptized at that time may very well have not been regenerate when they were baptized. However, here they are now at my Baptist church. They've been baptized with the gospel over them with water, maybe a little less water than we'd prefer, and they're actually professing a true and living faith in Jesus Christ. Why they've they've had all these elements, even though they were applied inappropriately, they've had all of them. Therefore, we ought to accept it. That was Spillsbury's argument. And I think that's where that's where I land. I know that's not necessarily where you land, but that's where I land. I think that's the good middle spot that avoids these ditches that are inevitable on on either side of the road. Yeah, and. This is where a lot of people may may I think take issue with with us and and when I say us I mean our our particular church um, we are a Baptist church as I know you are and um, our 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 position is that we have two requirements for membership uh, the requirement for membership is that a person must make a, a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they must be baptized as a believer. And that's, that's what our constitution reads and, and says. And as of yet, we have not had an issue where that has been a problem. We have not had an issue where someone has come in and said, you know, I was baptized as an infant. I wasn't yet a believer. Therefore this, you know, but it, it could happen. And certainly, I mean, it could happen this Sunday. We may have somebody come in and, um, and I was asked the question, how would we handle that? That was the that was what made me, you know, began our conversation about the subject. <clears throat> and when the person asked me how we would handle that, I said, well, there's there's a few things to consider. Uh, one is that we we do have a conviction on this issue. And our conviction is that that there is a, a proper and an improper mode of, of mm -hmm. baptism. And like you said, I'm not saying that the church down the road isn't Christian. I'm not saying the church down the road isn't uh, my faithful brother in Christ. I mean, we love our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, and I have some that are so close to me. My wife and and the wife of a, a local Presbyterian pastor are are so close. They they have become almost best friends. They talk mm -hmm. every day, and and so that's actually increased my relationship with him. And so we love each other, and and I and I and I support him, and he supports me. Um, but on this issue. This is certainly an issue of, of disagreement. And, and like you said, it's an issue of sin. And that's where that's where it, it becomes the issue for me is from a from, it sounds like I think we're being too harsh or too 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 mean, but we're saying no, this is where we we stand and this is where we are. And um there's nothing that would keep a person from being a, in our church. There's nothing that would even keep a person from communion with us because our communion is, is, is open to all believers. We, we, we invite people, even guests who are believers. We, we, we practice a fenced table, but not closed. It's not only for members. So, but, so you would allow a visiting Presbyterian faithful couple that's not under discipline to come and receive the, t the Lord's supper at your church. Yes, we have. And, and, we, and we do that. We, we, we do that regularly because we, we know we have, we have Presbyterians who visit with us. 
ever since the ministry has sort of uh, grown online, we've had a lot more visitors, a lot of people come in, Hey, Calvinist, you know, they kind of know me now from the silly videos, the denominational videos, but people will visit now who maybe wouldn't have visited before because they know who we are, where it is for us is membership opens doors for things like service in Mm -hmm. the diaconate and service in the, the, the eldership and things like that. And that's where we don't want there to be confusion. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more in regard to membership, not participation in the table, not participation in worship, but when you become a member, opening the door for other areas, which we would limit to people who would hold those same convictions. So, so that's kind of where the, the line is for us. What, what, how, what, so if you're speaking to your Presbyterian friend, right, who was mm-hmm. sprinkled, <laughs> even immersed, they, they aren't against immersion, but that's, they were baptized. Actually, actually, a, can I say something about that before? Because what you just said is important to me. Um, recently I, a friend of mine who was a Presbyterian and, and he's a PCA pastor, I've had him on the show. And, um, he said that they actually are opposed to immersion. He said they will allow it, but they, but it is not the method that God has intended, which I thought well, was amazing. I, well, I mean, I'm just saying, I heard him say that. I was like, really? So you're opposed uh, to it? He's, you said he's a pastor. Yeah, he's a pa- very well known. Well, I, I, don't I will lean it. on his expertise, but I could have sworn as I was looking over the Westminster that it said that baptism does not need to be by immersion, but it can also be performed by sprinkling or pouring, meaning that it's recognizing all three. But yeah, I have, if, to, uh, I have to find if the Presbyterian I'll, pastor wants to correct me. I'll just take it. Uh, and and I could be wrong, but I know he said it. He could be wrong, obviously, but I, I I'll, I'll try to find that quote and send it to you when we get off camera because I was taken aback by it because sure. it, it was it wasn't just saying that believers' baptism was wrong; it was saying the mode was incorrect and the correct mode is pouring not mm. not immersion which i thought was amazing but i know that's not the, what yeah. we're talking about um, okay so finish your thought yeah, i, 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 I guess i'm just like what would you say <laughs> that the member at the presbyterian church around the corner who was baptized as an infant would you even qualify that as a christian baptism one and if not, then what were they, what type of baptism was it? And what were they baptized into? Okay. This is the heart of the question. This is really, and this was the question that the person who asked me was bringing up. And they said, well, do you believe it's valid? I said, I don't believe it's correct. Uh, but, but when we talk about the word valid, that mm-hmm. has, that has a historic meaning. And I'm, I'm not willing to invalidate millions of people who have been baptized by immersion and invalidate their faith. Mm-hmm. But I am willing to say that that their, their baptism was not in accordance with scripture. And so I have to, I, I, I do believe that. I believe it's not in accordance with scripture. I, I believe God can still work in their lives. I still, God, God can still regenerate them. And, 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 and God's going to, like you said, he's going to work that out in the end. Mm-hmm. But when they asked me, do you believe my baptism was correct? I would have to say, no, I don't like the word valid because, and I know you, I know you're not trying to load a word for me. I'm just saying from my perspective, I I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say invalid, because that almost sounds like I'm saying not Christian. I'm not. I'm saying this method, this mode, um, and it would be. It, it, it's not in the same category, but it, but a similar category would be uh, an issue of 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 the Lord's table. If mm-hmm. the Lord's table is mistreated, I, I have to say that if I if I believe it's not being sure. done properly, mm-hmm. and I could say I don't think you're doing it properly, but I'm not saying you're not a Christian. And sure. I'm, and so so that's where that that that's where this is a really a hard and again I'm opening myself up to 
plenty of uh, <laughs> scrutiny from people. And I know I have a lot of Presbyterian people who listen to this who may get angry and, and I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings or say I don't love mm-hmm. them. I do. I appreciate them. I love them. I'm more concerned with membership. Because if I were to go to a, a, a Presbyterian church, if I were to submit to membership in a Presbyterian church, they wouldn't force me to baptize my children. But there would be an expectation that I'm going to submit to them as the leaders of the church. There's going to mm-hmm. be an expectation of that. And if I chose not to baptize my children, I think they would want a good reason why. Yeah, I think as they, they should because they would think you're in sin. That's right. They would think I was wrong. Right. And, and And for us, it's the same thing. I would say, I think you're wrong that you haven't been baptized since you came to faith in Christ. So how do we deal with that? We either, you can be baptized according to our understanding or not. And then that comes to the issue of membership at that point, because again, our, what our constitution says. And I'm willing to sit here for as long as you need, brother. Um, but I know just, you probably got to go. <laughs> no, I, I really don't. I just, okay. I was looking at the time. I'm surprised we've been at it this long, but I, I can keep going as long as you want. Um, any well, anyways, I, I think to act as if that uh, that debate in the 17th century solved anything or everything, I think it helped. It would be sure. would be foolhardy, right? We have to be aware of our traditions, right? We have to evaluate those traditions according to the scriptures, which I think all of us uh, are going to say we're doing, and we we want to do that, and we want to be corrected by the scriptures if our tradition is wrong. But the, the Baptist stream took a couple turns as well. The 1689 itself doesn't explicitly, I would argue, doesn't explicitly say that uh, an infant baptism is invalid be- because it was a sprinkling or something, right? Uh, they would say that it's not proper, that the due administration is for those who have confessed faith, professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not destroyed that by the way that they're living and that they were immersed in water in the triune name of God, right? They would say that's the way it needs to be done appropriately. And that's the only proper recipients, right? Which I would argue leaves open that, well, someone can still receive the real thing improperly, right? Someone can still put a wedding ring on their finger, even though they're not really married. Uh, but it's still a ring. Uh, now, when we look, there's that stream, but you can also look at yeah. like the Baptist faith and message stream or the New Hampshire confession stream, which make a stricter definition. They define baptism as full immersion of water of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ as a Christian baptism. Yeah. Now, if you start with the definition that here's what a Christian baptism is, it is a full immersion of water of one who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then anything other than that would not be a Christian baptism. That circles us right back around to the problem of two of the average Southern Baptist getting baptized like 2.7 times in their life because they <laughs> have one at 13 and they have one at 24 and then maybe they err and come back half the time. Uh, like, no, it was a real baptism. You you fell into sin and you repented. Praise God. You don't need to be baptized again. Uh, so I, I, ju- I, I guess what I'm calling for here is regardless of where we stand at on this in charity, I think all of us involved in this need to at least go to the scriptures, evaluate our traditions. We might not even be aware of where they came from, but let's look historically because it probably came from one of those. Uh, where did where did your tradition come from? And, and are you already starting with a definition that would exclude anything else as even being considered a, a baptism? 
Yeah. And what's funny is I love the phrase improper, but not invalid. I, I may, I may, uh, that, cause that's what I was trying to say mm-hmm. is, is I'm not invalidating millions of baptisms. I am saying they were improperly right. admin, administered. And mm-hmm. so that that's helpful. Um, and, and, and I think I've said it that way before, but you, you clarified it and reminded me. Um, but here, here's, here's another, like, maybe maybe kind of put a bow on this when we when we think about that question of improper you mentioned several times in your conversation about whether or not they were sprinkled or poured or immersed that's not even my concern and and i know and and i know as a baptist people might think it is like oh he he just cares whether the water came to here the water came to here right that's not it it's the it's the it's the recipient It's Mm -hmm. not the, because the Didache, and I'm a huge fan of the Didache. I teach on it a lot. I, I, Mm -hmm. I know it's not scripture, but I talk about, Hey, here, here's, here's an early source. Right. And the Didache says, we're going to, we're going to baptize in, in living water Mm -hmm. if it's available, but if it's not, we'll, 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 you know, in still water and we want it to be cold, you Mm -hmm. know, like, like, so so like they had all these modes and they said, but if that's not available, we can pour three times once in the name of the father and the son, the Holy spirit. So I understand the the modes as not being the the focus as much as the recipient, as much mm-hmm. as the the person receiving it. And as I said, I hope that people listening to this hear me when I say I am not in any way saying my 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 brethren are not my brethren. You know that that my brethren in the Presbyterian Church or whatever. I'm saying for our particular church, and and I think this has been consistent in Baptist churches. That's why I brought up the fact that you you were in a Baptist church that 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 did this. Um, consistently historically baptists it's kind of what defined us we defined ourselves by being baptized as believers the first and i know we're not anabaptists so please what i'm about to say could get me kicked out of all reform conversations but the anabaptists they poured but mm. they poured on believers that the first the first person to be baptized if i remember correctly it was i think maybe it was conrad grables but it was one of the it was one of the early anabaptists they poured water because that was what they, that was their understanding of baptism, but it was, it was him receiving it as a believer. That was what made it different. It wasn't the mode. It was the recipient. And so, uh, you know, that, 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 and again, I know we're not Anabaptists. I know the the 1689 and the 1644, which is the one we hold to explicitly, you know, we're not Anabaptists. 1644 is even a little stronger, I think on this point, but it is because it, because it was the first Baptist confession to sort of make that break. We are not them. And I get that. So, man, I, I love this conversation. And like I said, we could go on all day. I'm just thankful that you were willing to come on today and spend an hour and a half with me. And uh, and and you're 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 a you're a, a brother, and you're a, an educated brother. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for uh, to be able to just pick your brain and let people hear us talk because this is how godly people should talk about this. This is how mm-hmm. the conversation goes with my brother in Christ, who is a Presbyterian. We've sat in his office and had these very conversations and we mm-hmm. love each other beforehand. We love each other after. If we disagree, we, we, we still watch each other's kids and we still, you, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like his kids took karate from me. You know, there's this whole relationship that we're able to have, even in disagreement. We're not trying to drown each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not yet. Which, right. But, but, and that's what I, what I point to. I say, you know, my, our, our Baptist ancestors fought a battle for something. And some of them died for this battle. Sure. And so and so there's still something worth standing for. And I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying I, I think we all are mm-hmm. as Baptists. We're standing. We're saying there's something here worth 
standing for. And that's what we believe is the truth of, of yep. what the scripture says. So I'll give you a final thought and then we're going to begin to draw up to a close. Yeah. So I, I guess if I just on this, not the diehard topic, but on this topic, <laughs> right. Um, I think oftentimes we can banty about this term of, you know, charity when really what someone is trying to, that this isn't you, but when so, what someone's trying to do is get around the scriptures, right? Well, love is love, man. Just do what you want to do. No, we have to have a, a strong, that has to be our standard. We go to the scriptures and charity looks like applying that scripture faithfully to another person for their good, to the glory of God. That is what is truly charitable. But I don't think that it ought to, it, if somebody's accepted by Christ, I can't see a good reason why I would not, and now I'm not an elder. You have to deal with this. I don't. I'm not a deacon. I don't have to deal with this. You do. I can go off on all kinds of thoughts that are really great in my brain, and they mean nothing to anyone's real world experience. Yours does. Uh, and so that's a heavy weight that you bear in doing this and wanting to do so faithfully before God. Uh, but But I would have a hard time barring somebody from fellowship who is accepted by Christ and has been covered by the, by the blood of Christ. I don't think that the fact that they, that they received something that is true yet invalidly ought to be a bar to Christian fellowship. Uh, and I don't think it ought to be a bar to that if they're good Christian people, and they come to your church knowing what your church teaches, and they agree to submit to the authorities at that church, and they agree to not cause contention over this, and they agree to sit and learn and, and be helpful and serve in the ways that they can serve, which would essentially be everything that's not teaching. Uh, why not? Why couldn't they be a deacon? A deacon's job is not to teach. A deacon's job is to serve, and an OPC person can do that just as well as a Baptist. Uh, now, when it comes to teaching, obviously— that would be a different issue because in order to teach at this church, the church's constitution says you have to believe these things. You don't, but come to the Lord, come to the people of the Lord, enjoy fellowship with one another. Don't be contentious or divisive and let's grow together in Christ and he'll sort it out. Yep. And like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not an easy, not an easy topic. It's something that, and, and every, Every session of elders or group of elders, whatever they call themselves, I don't know what you guys, your your elders call, have to have to come to conclusions, stand on their convictions, and be willing to have those real world conversations, like you just said. And they yeah. are they are very uh, very difficult sometimes, but by God's grace, uh, He's building His church, and uh, and we know that it won't fail. So, yep. Amen. Trust that. Well, Eric, thanks again, man. Again, I appreciate you uh, taking time away from your family. I know today's your day off, so I hope you still have a good day to spend with them and I uh, hope they enjoy seeing you uh, uh, take me to task about Die Hard. Mm -hmm. I, I, <laughs> I know, yeah. I know where my wife stands and uh, I wouldn't let my kids watch that filth. So, oh, well, there you go. Well, I, yeah, there you go. Well, my brother, thank you again for giving me the time this morning. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna post this a little while, and we'll be able to share it, and uh, we'll see if people agree with us or disagree with us on Very that good. topic. So, thanks again. Is there anything you want to uh, point people to? Uh, you, you anything that you do or or want people to see or anything? Uh, nope. Okay, <laughs> all right. Now go right. watch conversations with the colonist. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs>
Well, guys, thanks again for being a part of Conversation with the Calvinist today. I want to, again, remind you that we have our uh, YouTube pages you can get to simply by going to calvinistpodcast.com. You can send us emails at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a question that you would like for me to address on a future episode, send it to that email or you can send it to me through Twitter at your Calvinist. I want to thank you again for listening to Conversations with the Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you.